All right, guys, I am Caleb Giddings. And I am Keith Finch. And you are watching or listening to Gun Day Brunch episode 30 and change because I'm always, it's funny, whenever I record these, I never know exactly what the episode number is going to be, even though it just goes up by one every time. So this is like 30. It does. Six, it does go five. up by one. However, sometimes we record these in an order and then we present them in a slightly different order based upon Things. topic at hand. So right. like based upon based upon the whims of the internet. But for example, to give you guys a peek behind the curtain, like let's say we recorded an episode and then like, you know, something major newsworthy or meme worthy happened, we might say jump back in and record another episode after that that ends up airing before it because, you know, like hypothetically some guy froze a bunch of rifles and posted a video about it on the internet and we might want to talk about that hypothetically hypothetically and hypothetically but not hypothetically uh gunday brunch will be brought to you by these guys yay these guys thank you for your these guys so let's uh cut right to the chase on this one because uh grand thumb the uh, honestly like i so and I, i've said this before i really only watch two uh firearms related youtube channels i watch uh, i will occasionally watch brandon herrera and I will occasionally watch uh, Grantham, and that's that's about it. Um, I add uh, so Ian, I add Ian into that mix too. I'll watch Forgotten Weapons. You know, I I, I have occasionally watched Forgotten Weapons. My problem uh, with Forgotten Weapons isn't really a problem so much as Ian really likes guns, mm -hmm. like, and I don't. I mean, like, I like guns just fine, but I like shooting guns. Mm -hmm. Ian like Ian likes guns. guns. And it's it's such a subtle distinction that like a lot of people who hear me say this are going to be like, what the hell do you mean? And I can't really explain it, but like if you understand what I'm saying, you'll be like, mm, that I'll, makes I'll, sense. I'll take a crack at that, and then we'll go back to the video that froze the internet. Um, right, because it really did. Yeah, it, it really did. It was very, very funny, and it made me laugh. It was so good. Um, Ian goes into the technical aspects in the history of guns. So if you're like a history buff or a tech buff and you like the little minutia about how things work and what design processes were behind things, which I absolutely do. It's one of the reasons I, I like uh, the rifles the way I do. Because, you know, you shoot a 5.56 rifle, you, you've shot a 5.56 rifle. They all kind of do the same thing. Do the same um, thing, yeah. But if you enjoy how certain things are built and how a person or a team of people tackled a problem to make a firearm work, or uh, people who started down a design process and then it dead-ended into what, wherever the uh, design process eventually dead-ended because another decision was made, usually by a government, um, to, to uh, you know not use a new ammunition type, for example, something we've talked about, talked about on this channel. Um, you, you look at those things, Ian's, Ian's, uh, content is very much geared toward the people who like that type of content, who like mm -hmm. very yeah, technical sure. and historically related content, which is why the Forgotten Weapons channel is so cool in the way it is. Uh, Mike Jones, Grantham, his content is more action, more shooting oriented, and he's getting more into the sciencey stuff now, but they but it's do still done a in a way that's entertaining. Yeah, they, they do an entertainment value and a function value. And that's kind of where this 
this interesting, blustery, and cold video ended up. So for people who haven't seen the video, uh, go watch it. We'll actually link it in this. When I, when I do post-production on this, we'll actually link Mike's video either like here or here or in the description because it, it's, it'll, it's it'll, be, it'll be somewhere guys it's a 40 minute video it's not a small chunk of time but it's very worth the watch especially if you take it you go into it the right way we'll and it's certainly that. more entertaining than whatever bullshit thing you do for a living so please waste your employer unless you have my job in which case it's not but or keith's <laughs> job but uh yeah, we, you, we, we have, have equally our, entertaining jobs as this video is and in fact i got to use that video as part of my job which made it even better <laughs> you do, uh, look for an article on uh, tacticallife.com talking about it anyway um uh so on that note so keith why don't you give us a breakdown of what exactly the 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 because he did so I'll, I'll do an overarching view of the video so uh mike's like hey how well do these guns work when you freeze them and what he did was he took a very broad selection of rifles, uh, starting from the MR556, going through like the current hotness in military M4s, the URGI, you know, a Block II M4, uh, a Knight's SR15. Um, he had some oddball guns thrown in there as well. We'll talk about the oddballs in a bit. And then he had three uh, styles of AK. He had, you know, your classic AKM. He had a Rifle Dynamics AK-105, which that gun made me want an AK. Like, just when he picked it up, I was like, whoa, what's, what is this strange feeling of communism creeping down my spine? <laughs> <laughs> that gun looked really awesome. Oh, um, Rush. And then uh, he had another, and then he had another AK variant. Uh, and then he had, like, some, like, battle rifles. He had a SCAR. He had an M14, which we're going to dedicate a chunk of this video to talking about the M14 and how glorious it was because how much it sucked. Um, <laughs> and uh, he had um, and then uh, there was FA yeah, he, oh, he had an FAL uh, yes. shorty, he had an FAL short boy as well made by DSA. Um, and then he broke the test into two stages and I'll let you end. So you tell him about like stage one of the chest test, like the initial freezoid test. All right. So the, as Caleb said, guys, the, the stage was broken into two tests. There was a light freeze, and then there was a heavy freeze. So the light freeze, freeze. Yeah. So the light freeze was you you would get the rifle a little wet. Like there there was uh, it was like two gallons of water over the whole collection of rifles in total. Um, so some water got on the rifle, whether you know you dropped it real quick in the snow and the rifle was warm and then the snow melted onto the rifle that might simulate about the amount of water um that's probably a little light but still the rifles weren't soaking wet they they were just lightly lightly wettened um <laughs> they were for the moist. first test so it pleasantly moist we shall say <laughs> <laughs> um, so now in that first test uh things that i was not at all surprised by the mr556a1 worked because mm -hmm. you know it's it's german um and that all of the ak variants worked just fine because they were designed by a country that fights wars in that kind of condition so it doesn't there was there wasn't anything particularly surprising to me in round well okay let me rephrase that those results weren't particularly surprising to me. 
I was also not surprised at the constant difficulties he had, even in the first round of testing, to engage or to disengage the ARM4 style safety. And the reason for that is, and something I talked about on my Instagram yesterday was, I have trained in, I, I have done M4 qualifications and heavy weapon qualifications in that exact kind of environment where the guns are left out in the snow, they get kitty, they get snowed on. Um, <laughs> And, you know, and one of the first things that happens is the selector lever will stick, you know, and yeah. it's, and in the light freeze, he was able to disable the selector level every time on all of the guns and, you know, with very, and then try to shoot them with varying degrees of success. Um, but that didn't surprise me at all. Now, I'm, now, now you talk about the part that uh, initially sent the internet aflame because it has to do with a really expensive AR-15. Really <laughs> the part, expensive. The part that really set the internet aflame was the fact that the Knight's Armament Rifle in this test did not perform well because Knight's Armaments are really expensive. There, there's Wait, a very I good mean, reason. There's very good like reason. Failed. Why. Yeah. It, and and they're they're very well built. Like, don't get me wrong, the Knight's rifle is a great rifle. They're very, very well built rifle, but there's very specific reason why it failed. But the internet, being the internet and the place we cannot have nice things, it immediately devolved into this this is crap. How dare you insult the knights SR15, you heretic. How dare you? Like, guys, that's his gun. Like, <laughs> yeah, his, he owns, he paid his own money for that gun. Nobody gave him that gun. Yeah, that that's that's his gun that he's torturing, just like the scar, which the, the scar being, I'm I'm very much a scar fan, is is well known. But the scar performed uh about how I expected it to based on the parameters of the test as well, with the first test going pretty well for it, it being able to break through the ice and get the action working. And then the second test causing problems. We'll get to the second test in yeah, a little bit. We, yeah, but the Knights did not do well in the first test. And there's mm -hmm. a big reason why. Do we want to get into that right now? Yeah, yeah, let's talk about the Knight. Right. But actually, All right. yeah, go. We'll talk about the Knight. There's something I want to bring up, but that's a later on. So yeah, talk about why the Knight right. didn't work well in the first test. All right, the reason the Knights didn't work, and you'd find it in uh, similar similar designs, like I bet my LWRC would have some of the very, very same issues because the Knights and the L-dubs and those nice AR uh, rifles and the MCX also, the MCX had, uh, say oh, MCX had it. Yeah. No, um, they have tiny crevices in them, guys. There are tiny places, especially around the fire control and the bolt lock and, and bolt release controls that all work very, very nicely um, in above freezing temperatures or dry enough uh, conditions where there's not water expanding into ice in those tiny crevices. The moment that there's water expanding into ice in all those tiny control crevices, you run into issues. And what happened in the test was it was the, the controls were deliberately allowed to freeze to see what happened. And we did. And it yeah, didn't and work. It did not work. Yeah, it, it didn't work. It didn't work very well. Um, the other thing that happened in the first round of testing that made my just black heart uh, so happy, especially given what we've said about the M14 on the channel, was the M14 failed. And it failed in a super dangerous way. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, again, watch the video, and when you see it, you'll you don't even realize what's happening until he describes it. But basically, real short version of the story: he pulls the trigger on the M14. It releases the sear, but the hammer is frozen in place inside the gun with a live round under it. And so basically there was nothing then stopping the hammer from flying forward at any moment when it thawed to an appropriate temperature, which um, I mean, he had to make his cameraman put the camera down, step behind the line so he could like clear the rifle out in a safe way with a third set of hands. Glorious, glorious. M14 fanboys, your gun sucks. Ooh. Yeah, it, it it speaks to the fact that the open action design that's that's sitting behind the M14 is really problematic when it comes to interference like that. And this one specific getting a lot of moisture in there, that's a pocket that'll just collect water, and it did, and it froze the action. Therefore, when the sear was pulled, the hammer did not go, but the hammer was trying to, and had the spring tension gotten past all the ice and everything like that, you could have had a very dangerous situation with that um very exciting it, it was, it hey, was how... highly highly problematic and that was assuredly the hardest fail of the whole test oh, was yeah. the m14 the m1a and well, uh, the hardest fail of the first round of testing. yeah the, and the we'll get to the second round of testing in a minute because how that was full great, of fail. yeah how great was the first round when the d when the fal shorty was like <laughs> Fuck your cold weather. It just went. It just sat there and was like, <laughs> um, guess I work today. Which now here's the thing, and I have I I have not seen any commentary about like the foul being more reliable than an SR15. And if you said something like that, you should be slapped in the face for being an idiot. Yeah. Because the thing with the DSA FAL, especially an FA, a DSA made FAL shorty, is that it just decides to work or it doesn't, all right? You don't actually have any say in it. The gun has a personality and it wakes up in the morning and it's like, hmm, today I'm gonna work. And it runs like a sewing machine. And you think, yes, I finally solved the problems with my FAL shorty. And then the next day it's like bitchy thought and it cycles two rounds, mangles a piece of brass as it ejects it, and then doesn't work again for a month until one day when it decides to work again. So the the Belgian it's gremlins were yeah, <laughs> the Belgian gremlins were just in that FAL that day. So that's why it worked. It had nothing to do with it being a better design than an A15. But I loved it because I as we've said, if I was going to get a battle rifle, it would be an FAL. And yeah. I have yeah, this I is, this is not throwing the FAL completely under the bus, guys. Like the FAL was a good design; it was an objectively good design, especially for the era it was coming up in. It it was good at what it did, but it's got some complexities behind it. And going back to what we were talking to earlier about Ian and and, and the Forgotten Weapons channel, if you look on his FAL vids, you can get into kind of the nuts and bolts of the FAL design and why, like the Germans went from the G1, which was an FAL, to the G3 and why uh, other designs started taking over because the FAL, while good, um, also had some, has some drawbacks and there, there are better ways to, to skin that, to, to uh, fillet that fish, to skin that cat, whatever yeah. you want to do. So speaking of skinning cats, he then gets on to uh, part two of the test, which he, yeah. all of the rifles that failed part one, like had hard failures, he eliminated and he's like, we're not even going to mess with these in part two. 
Um, and so part two, not, you know, he- Not entirely true. No, yeah, he did keep a couple of them around. Um, but part two, you know, obviously, so part two, again, uh, the AKs all pretty much worked fine. Mm -hmm. uh, the biggest problem they had with the AK was one of them, the magazine spring was frozen, mm -hmm. which I'm like, that's not surprising. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, AKs worked well. Um, and then, you know, the URGI had a pretty gnarly failure. The uh, uh, MCX just died. It just said, yeah, I don't want to live anymore. And rolled over. Mm -hmm. uh, and then, then we got to the night stuff. And nope. Yeah. Just the just the hardest of nopes. It, it failed did not at all. It it did not at all. It failed hard. It totally locked up. Uh, the entire action just decided, uh-huh. We're out. It's cold. I was built in Florida. Yeah. Screw this. Yes, I surrender. I give up. So, you know, now that we've kind of gotten into that let's talk about why like you know you have the crevices you have this gun that's built of tight tolerances and then you know when you compare that to a gun like an ak style gun which is intentionally built to shittier tolerances mm -hmm. this is one of those things that people don't understand now yes i'm aware of you know uh, john johnston did a series of videos a few years back where he had a nice SR-15, he shot 50,000 rounds through it, he lubricated the piss out of it, he threw it in the dirt and did all of that. He didn't hard freeze it, which cold weather does weird shit to guns that people don't really understand. But, you know, this isn't taking away from the reliability or anything like that of the Knight's gun or the SR-15, but cold weather is a very specific problem that you have, like, and I'm not talking about like, Oh, it snowed a little bit cold weather. I'm not talking about cold, you know. We're, like we're, talking, get... we're talking very intense cold weather. And um, additionally, we're talking about water intrusion into the weapon system. This is and, a this is a specific problem. And we and and it's not, it's actually it's a it's a compound problem too, because one of the things that they talked about in the video was that he intentionally let left the guns essentially in you know, outdoor temperature environment in his garage for like two weeks at like 20 degree weather so they could get down to this appropriately super cold temperature. And there's a big, and before we introduced the water intrusion portion of the event. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're, you're, you have the multiple combination of prolonged cold weather exposure, which is actually frozen these, actually made the gun itself frozen right yeah you pour the, ice the, on it when it's metal, the metals all everything inside the gun is homogeneously cold they are they mm. are cold they're acclimatized to the cold they've been stored cold for a very long period of time now so when you pour dry. so and everybody who has lived in a cold weather environment knows that if you put like a wet thing on a very cold piece of metal that's been in a prolonged cold environment, it's licking a flagpole. Your tongue will freeze to it because the metal is so cold. Mm -hmm. And that's actually a part of what happened here is when you had the water hit these guns, the water actually starts to freeze right away. And then mm -hmm. as it penetrates, it's freezing to things that it was never supposed to be freezing to in the first place. And that it likely wouldn't have the opportunity to if you were using this rifle, say, in an environment where you you know, had bailed out, you were in a vehicle, you bailed out of the vehicle into the snow, you know, the rifle was at a higher temperature, things like that. Um, so 
it is, it's a very interesting test, but you also have to understand the parameters that you're looking at prolonged exposure to extreme cold, like Arctic cold conditions followed by water intrusion, which if that's a probability, like, I don't know, if we go to war in Ukraine, why would we go to war in Ukraine? Why, why would that be on the list of possibilities? I don't know, but yeah, I, I do think it's timely as well. So I, I, I really, obviously I really enjoyed it. I think the thing I've enjoyed, um, and I, you know, I'll say this, we've talked about gross fandoms. I have enjoyed the, the tears of upset CAC fanboys. Uh, more than that, I've enjoyed the ululations of the AK-47 crowd. <laughs> oh yeah, they, they feel, the AK crowd feels so vindicated. And let me dig, let me dig into the AKs for a little bit, guys, because I, I have a Rifle Dynamics AK. I like it a lot. It's a great rifle. Um, but it's a, it's just another five five six gun that I really like. Uh, the the thing that set the AK up for success, and we were talking about it a little earlier, are the tolerances inside the gun. A, you have a big ass safety lever, giant safety lever, lots of lots of leverage. And if you look at how the safety works inside the gun, you're not dealing with all the tiny little cracks and crevices that all the detent style safeties of the Scar, the Galil Ace is there there's no oh, that was the one Leo Ace Leo Gen Ace. 2 did it did fantastically in the light icing test it failed in the heavy icing test and the reason it failed was failure to disengage the safety and one of the big differences between the Galil Ace operating system and the AK the base AK operating system is the fact that that safety has been redesigned to be more AR like is it's more oh self-contained and small we have to talk about the AUG Yes, the AUG. Everyone's I, I most hated about the AUG. How is the, the bullpup guy here not talking about the AUG? Because um, we haven't gotten to that point yet. I was saving it. <laughs> sorry, AKs. I keep talking about AKs. Yep. I literally right, just... Back to like, AKs. Then I'll, then I'll get to the AUG. Um, so the AKs did very well because the internal, the internal dynamics inside the AK, the internal structure is very much about, unless it's completely full, which Forgotten Weapons and InRange have a video on what happens if the back of the AK gets full of shit. And spoiler alert, it doesn't work. Um, yeah. But for, for icing, the AK's internals is, is set up really well to deal with icing, to break through it and get the action working again, where anything that's running a very tight detent and control set is gonna have it a much harder time breaking through that because you have way less leverage and way less space to work with. So the AK is very much a design set up for success if you were in the situation where the gun got very wet and then you weren't able to do anything to it pretty much immediately. I'll, I'll mention that too right now, guys. If you were to start diagnosing the icing problem on these guns immediately, if you were to get them wet and then start clearing them, working actions and making sure everything stays clear, and then you kept doing that periodically every five to 10 minutes instead of ignoring the problem completely and letting it freeze, which is what the test was about. Let's not, it mm, was what yeah. happens if these things freeze solid and you don't maintain them. But if you were intent, instead to take the steps of remediating and making sure your action kept working, all of those guns would have performed better. All of them, mm -hmm. including the ones that failed so hard. And now- well, And even with um, the open action gun, so the M14, yeah. and I'm gonna like do a little bit of savioring here for the M14. I'm also going to attempt to head off any commentary 
because people are going to be like, but what about the M1 Garands in the Ardennes? And what about, you know, the M1 Garands in the Chosen Reservoir? And I'm like, yes. And if you actually do like two seconds of research, which I've done, there was actually, uh, I, I don't know, I will say this, I don't know if it was officially promulgated by the army, but you can find old photos of GIs in those conditions. And if you look at their M their M1s, I almost called an M14, I'm so sorry. If you look at their M1, which is superior in every way to the M14, um, yeah, you guys. notice that a lot of them have the action wrapped with a rag uh, and you do a little bit of digging and it was a common practice in super cold weather to take whatever lubricant you had whatever weapon lubricant you had lubricate a rag and then wrap that around the weapon to one keep moisture from intruding into the weapon and two keep the action warmer than the surrounding air around it that mm -hmm. was their fix was to not leave their guns action exposed to hellishly cold conditions for, for hours of time and hours then get it wet. They turned into blocks of ice. <laughs> Weird. You know, so again, as, as 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 much as we enjoyed shitting on the M14 earlier, which I will never not enjoy that. Um, again, you have to bear in mind that this specific test was constructed to create the absolute worst case scenario. Like, you know, uh, you, you've been on a foot patrol through the woods in 10 degree weather for six hours and you fall into a river. Yeah. Um, which is somehow it, not frozen. Yeah, the river, and that does happen guys, like the river underneath the ice that like I've tripped into that. I've been on that yeah. foot patrol with an M16. I've fallen into that. It's very cold. <laughs> I do not nope. like training in tra Northern Michigan, sometimes not fun. Um, so I've done that. I've been that guy that tripped into the river with an M16, but like mine, mine worked when I then did LFAM later because I shook it off, worked the action, put a little extra CLP on it, dried myself off. So I cared for myself with the water exposure and I cared for the weapon with, due to the water exposure. And that's the difference. We're looking at a situation in which no care was taken for the water exposure. But so getting to the getting to piece de la resistance. The Steyr Aug, one of the most hated weapons on the internet because it's backwards. Um, the the bullpup of bullpups, the Aug did fantastic in both tests. Mm -hmm. Reason being, the reason that it did fantastic is the setup of the Aug doesn't allow water intrusion into places, didn't allow water intrusion into places where it was going to muck with the gun very badly. Mm -hmm. I don't. I, for instance, the X95, my favorite bullpup, I don't think would have fared as well in this test because of the, the differences in the open crevice locations on the X95 versus the AUG. The AUG is a very sealed system for all those operating bits. The icing was getting on the front of the piston rod and then the front of the uh, charging handle rod, which are parallel inside that gun. And if it, there wasn't enough ice buildup there to stop it cycling when you fired it the first time, there wasn't going to be enough to stop the gun because there's just yeah, not enough yeah. action exposed to the water intrusion in order to make it stop. And that's what bore out. There just wasn't enough water inside the gun. And that's very similar to what happened to the AKs is there wasn't enough water inside the gun. Had the AKs been frozen with safety off, for example, I think we would have seen uh, different results as more water actually got into the action because that, that would have been open. what would happen if they froze them uh if they like i mean, like froze them upright so like so yeah. i did this as a test 
where I took a, a, a friggin' Rock Island uh, 1911 and put an empty magazine in it, froze it in a block of ice, like submerged it in water, put it in the freezer, froze it solid, took it out, banged it out of the ice, cleared it and went and fired it. And it, it was really cold, I should, but it fired just fine. Um, which, and the reason for that was because the Rock Island 1911 has such large gaps in it that by the time I got it to the range, all of the water had gotten out of any place that would have actually stopped a gun from firing. It's like when you look at a Glock and people are like, it shoots underwater. And I'm like, yeah, of course it does. You can see right through it. Yeah, there's like, plenty there's the, of space for all the things to function. Um, and and that's what it, that's ultimately what it comes down to is that the video that froze the internet was because you we purposely allowed might purposely allowed these guns to freeze mm -hmm. solid no mitigating no counteracting steps which obviously if you're in a environment where you're counting on this to save your life you would take you would take these mitigating steps you would dry yourself out and you would start mitigating and drying the rifle out this would have been a different test and he may sh he may show that he may go and do there's plenty of winter left guys he might do a mm -hmm. test where he free he freezes the guns again in heavy water but he works their controls every five minutes while he does it until the outsides are probably pretty well frozen but the actions everything that's supposed to move still moves because he moved it in the interim you you would see a different test then uh i think so the last thing I think we'll talk about with this is the number of people who are you know who complained about the type of lubricant that he used because he used CLP and not uh, you know LSA or some Arctic worker lubricants, which yeah. are all options. Yes, um, I, I and you know to to answer that, you know, he said in the video, CLP is designed to work in down to almost in down to like ten degree temperatures. Guys. Yeah, he was he wasn't operating outside the temperature CLP works, guys. He wasn't. Yeah, we're we're yeah. we're at twenty degrees Fahrenheit is not extreme cold weather. It's cold. It's below freezing, but it's not the extreme cold weather where you're, where you're actively, even with CLP, like CLP itself is turning into gel, turning into sludge at these extreme cold temperatures. If you're at negative 11 up in an Alaska or something like that, and Minnesota. yeah, or Minnesota uh, or any, anywhere that gets the real, you know, the air hurts my face. Why does the air hurt my face um, type? type temperatures outside, you're dealing with a different environment. That's when you're starting to look at alternative lubricants. So people making these comments about, oh, you didn't use the right lubricant. No, that's that's not what it was. It wasn't, he didn't use the, like, the correct Incorrect. lubricant. Incorrect. It was that no mitigating, on purpose, no mitigating steps were taken to make sure the actions kept moving. Uh, yeah. So the other thing that I want to address, and this is sort of like a personal thing, is I saw a comment, and I forget which dumb forum it was on, but it might have been on Facebook, where someone was like, it must be nice for uh, Grantham to be able to just like grab these guns from work. Because if you don't know, uh, Mike is uh, an Air Force TACP officer, former SEER officer, now TACP. And someone made the comment, because he's got, you know, a Block, uh, block, uh, block 2 M4, which it's not actually a full auto M4, and his URGI is not actually full auto like those guns would be if they were military guns and i want to address this just for a second because that's a common misconception that you see sometimes with creators who are in the military and also post stuff mm -hmm. those are all guns that he bought with his own money okay yeah, that those he are built 
with his own, those are his guns and i can explain or, or, a, company, those are or a company sent them to him and right. were please try and break this that happens they're 100 definitely not military guns because that's illegal Ta-da. <laughs> like it's really it's not like a little illegal it's like a lot illegal um and it's also the sort of thing that I believe me, the military is aware of his YouTube channel. They are 100% aware with it, aware of it. So there is abs, and I guarantee there's some like dirt, there's some guy who hates fun who like checks it to make sure that he's doing, to make sure that he, to try to catch him doing something bad because there's always that one fun hater. Oh, yeah. There's, there's always that guy. There's always the one. There's always the there's one a, there, for everybody else. They have to ruin it. They have to. They have to be the one that's like. Mm-hmm. I'm like there, I'm yeah, I guarantee there's some you, E8 blue falcon the out there who watches Grand Film just yeah. waiting for him to do something like slightly, you know, that would make the Air Force like, look like bad. So, right. just let me 100 percent tell you guys. I gear and as the a guy who actually has you know been in charge of armories, I guarantee those are not military guns. Please stop making that comment. You that's know, whoever. Not. To, like they, they and, might use they might use similar parts. They might use the same parts that just didn't get sent into the military armory. Because I I was an armament tech. Like I'm I'm the last guy before FN or Colt that sees an M4 um, when it's really really broken. Um, like I I was that guy. That was my job. Um, didn't get to do it in quite that fashion, but that's a whole nother story. Uh, that that was supposed to be me. Like I'm the last guy before. Sorry, it's fucked. Right. And, this is going back to DRMO. It goes guys. back to the, the back to the maker. So, like, so, yeah, stop saying that. Arm, right. yeah. In, in, in short, those aren't military guns. They may use very similar parts. They may use the same spec parts, but those are personal guns. So, like, it, he didn't. He wasn't like, "Hey, for I am cool on the interwebs." Wink. You should lend me the guns. Yes. That doesn't, Let me go grab a URGI and a bunch of suppressors and shit like that. Like, are you I? Do you think that's how this works? They, anyway, they sorry. Even, that was just they don't that, even allow and I know I shouldn't respond to stupid ass. They don't even respond to stupid ass comments like that, but it's just in civilian vehicles. Like you cannot that's that's against all the rules. You cannot, even if you're never leaving a military installation, even if you're on a on a uh, a mission to that that involves the use of the issued guns you can't issue a bunch of guns and say all right well the range is literally just down the road and we want to cycle people back for things like lunch and we're going to put watch on the weapons the weapons will just stay out to the range everyone get out to the range guys you you don't put weapons in personal vehicles you don't there's there's no like here go so we actually in the air force we have a fun exception to that rule and it's if you are transporting a weapon in a locked case to a commercial airport to travel to a destination, you can put that weapon in your personally owned vehicle and drive to the airport and park your car in airport parking and then check in and fly. And here's why I 100% believe that we have that. And that's not a DOD thing. It's an Air Force thing. And you know why we have the thing? Pilots. Because mm-hmm. pilots all want to drive my own. I don't want to have to get a shuttle. I want to drive my own car to the airport. <laughs> that way, when I come back, I can drive my own car. I don't have to take a taxi. Can I just put this M9 in a case and put it in my car? 
being being the Air Force must cater to its flyboys, they they say, yeah, we'll make a rule for that. Um, the following statement represents my opinions, not the opinions of the United States Air Force, Combat Arms, Security Forces, or the units that I'm associated with. Disclaimer. Yeah. All right. Any other thoughts on uh, wrecking the internet and freezing gun solid? No, no. That was one of the most delightful things. I mean, I'm in several scar groups and some of the scar butt hurt over the rusting parts as it was brought back to room temperature. I'm like, yeah, they got super cold. They got super wet. And now they're in the perfect condition to start oxidizing. Yeah, you're going to have to clean them. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Weird, weird. Super weird guns rust when you get them super cold. Steel, super steel rust when it's given the condition to oxidize. O OMG. A coating can't just magically stop that all on its own. OMG. <laughs> no, no. No, and yeah. That, I, imagine I, I, them looking at some of the rustier like M16A2s and old, old M4s that we saw from our early days in the military. Oh, man. The ones that I, were purple I mean, and shiny. Barrels were shiny. Or like machine guns that you had them, or perfect example of rusting guns. Uh, you're doing a heavy weapon firing and you've got mm -hmm. 240 barrels just sitting out in the cold, in the snow, in 20 degree weather. Yep. And then you throw one of those on a gun and you go, barrel change. Do your barrel change, drop that shit back down in the snow. Do that a whole bunch of times, cycling guns from cold to hot to cold to hot. I every single barrel had rust on it, and like not like bad. It wasn't like I needed you know a Dremel to get it off, but they had surface rust they, because they the gun would get to hell. Yeah. We we had the same thing when we went to when when we went to Africa. We grabbed all our guns, put them in boxes, and they got shipped to Africa. We took them out of the boxes. And they were they were clean and preserved and everything like that. We took them out of the boxes in Africa and we did our thing. We trained with the Moroccan the Moroccans. And when we were done training with the Moroccans, we um, in the friggin' Western Sahara conditions were like, screw it, back in the boxes with everything. And then it got shipped back to the United States um, because you weren't getting those clean in the middle open desert no it, it wasn't you couldn't like clp it because then all the desert sand and awesomeness so you wiped it off you did the best you thing throw it in the box go home we get it up we open it up guess what they're all rusty and nasty and everything like that because we were playing in the desert and then they got put in boxes and shipped home yep it has what it is guys guys don't get it mad when mechanical things do what yeah don't get mad when mechanical things do what they're gonna do when exposed to the conditions that, that that will cause those things. Rust happens, guns freeze. If you are mad because the Knight's Armament SR-15 didn't work, don't be mad. Um, if you're happy because the AKs worked, do be happy because that was yeah, cool. like that. Like that honestly, cool. the the best part about this has been the byplay between like very upset, you know. Uh, Knights Armament fans and very happy AK fans, and then guys who are in Sig MCX is going like. Um, oh, okay. It, it's funny because my mine is mine is coming back very very shortly, and I'm like, oh, I must be very careful. But being being in the scar forums, the the current joke running around is don't don't put it outside. And I have a very prominent picture of my personal 17 when I took it out uh, deer hunting. I put it on the back of my truck. It was like 19 degrees out. It's super cold. I put it on on the back with a suppressor on it, which you're not supposed to do because it voids the warranty. 
screw it. Um, and mounting I, a suppressor. I, I, hold on. And, wait, what? Yeah, you're you're the 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 joke is you, if you put a suppressor on a scar, uh, you void the warranty. And I'm like, well, I fix my own guns anyway, so whatever. I don't care. Um, <laughs> just like if if I bust it, I'll get the parts to fix it. I'm not going to go cry to FN. Yeah. The, yeah. Well, um, actually, no, we could cry to FN and get some parts. So we have a friend. Yes, we could. Uh, I don't I don't want to abuse that yet, but. Oh, he Maybe. likes it. I mean, I know. Yeah. I know. Um, I know. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I do. I do be wanting that NRCH. Although, although the, the, the non-reciprocating charging handle versions, although this uh, video actually showed the benefit of a reciprocating charging handle very nicely when oh, it's yeah. to, to freeze up during test one, that the fact that it was just a hard reciprocating charging handle like the AK and you could just like shook shook it through the slush. Yep. That, that worked. It did it the helped. thing. It did the thing it was supposed to do. And that's so actually why it was asked for at the time. So the people smashing their thumbs on the rifle because you didn't hold it the right way. Sorry. Um <laughs> like that that was the reason they did that. It, is it kind of a ridiculous niche reason? Yes, but that was one of the reasons they did that. Is so you could just manhandle the bolt carrier group inside the scar. And it worked. And All it right, worked. Guys. It did the thing it was supposed to do. I think that's it. I'm, I'm sure I that we'll get some like hatery comments about someone's going to listen to this just to the point where I say the M14 sucks and then not listen to me talk about how good it actually is when it's preserved correctly. So yeah. I guarantee somebody will comment about that. Oh, I did want to shout out, uh, dedicate this video to the guy who said he almost threw up listening to us defend the NFA. And I was like, <laughs> cool. If you thought that's what we were doing, you need to get hearing aids. Um, but yeah, I love, not, I love not, comments like that. They're so we great. We are simply <laughs> acknowledging that the NFA is a reality. The NFA exists, guys. Uh, it yep. shouldn't, but it does. And uh, yeah. yeah, so that's it. That's it for this week. It, we I, that, that may oh. be the same person who commented earlier when I made made the post, um, uh, a SHOT Show update post earlier, who said they're giving into mandates. It's like, yes, they would like to continue to conduct business. I understand that decision. Yeah. Oh, was it about uh, Beretta eating uh, yep. themselves out of SHOT Show? Yeah, yep. that was that was what was so what was funny about that. I swear to God, we're going to end this episode after this, guys. Um, what was funny? We, we may even cut was, it, before, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, probably not. Um, was that I? I got that news from a contact at Beretta that they had uh, that they were leaving the show and started talking to you, and you were like, "That's mm -hmm. weird," because they just sent me meeting updates this morning for meetings, and I'm like, yes. yeah, but it's the afternoon, so yep. who knows?" Like, I, I was, I was also talking to Beretta contacts. I'm like, "Hey, is everything okay?" And they were like, "Yes, absolutely, everything's fine." Well, the decision had literally just been made by not Beretta USA guys. This isn't Beretta USA. This was Beretta Holding Corp. This was the Italians Beretta. above the rest of the Italians. You see this? Beretta. Beretta not, holding, Beretta USA. Beretta not holding. Beretta USA. Like, yeah. not, 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 not Beretta USA, but like Beretta, Beretta. holding corporation. Is that yep. racist when I do that? I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> okay, we, we, we have to wrap this episode up because my nanny's leaving soon. Uh, we will see you guys <laughs> next week. All right, later, guys.